Hello, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm your host, Tabitha Walter, the political director of Eagle Forum. Now, Congress has had a crazy couple of weeks, and even though it has been messy and dramatic, I have to say it's really exciting for someone in my profession. We have seen the Senate compromise on certain issues, but in the House, Democrats haven't exactly been united lately. And I guess you could say there's trouble in paradise. So what exactly is the holdup? Well, it's a massive spending bill to the tune of $3.5 trillion. And it's not just any spending bill. One where they will use the reconciliation process to pass it, meaning the Senate just needs 51 votes instead of the usual 60 to move it to Biden's desk. Now, this bill is based off of Biden's Build Back Better plan. It's essentially all of the things that didn't make it into the infrastructure bill and more. Not roads and bridges, infrastructure. It's what the Democrats are calling human infrastructure, which promises to put more money in the pockets of families. Of, of course, free money doesn't exist. So I brought on an expert in this area, Rachel Gresler from the Heritage Foundation to set the record straight. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tabitha. Yeah. Well, let me tell you a little about her. Rachel is a research fellow in the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget. She focuses on retirement and labor policies, disability insurance, pensions, and worker comp- compensation. She also provides research and commentary on workplace issues, including federal employee compensation, women's issues, and labor policies, such as the minimum wage and paid family leave. Previously, Rachel was a senior economist on the staff of the Joint Economic Committee of the Congress for seven years. She holds a master's degree in both economics and public policy from Georgetown University. She currently resides in Bethesda, Maryland with her husband and six children. Wow, you have some impressive credentials, including being a mom of six. So when you work on these issues, you have both a political and personal perspective. Tell me what made you interested in doing this type of work. Yeah, thank you. And actually, I started out as a data person. I loved economics um, and looking at the public policy side of thing. And I've really been drawn into some of these labor policy and family issues. It's it's impacted me personally. Um, and I have especially benefited from seeing how greater flexibility in the workplace, more accommodating policies can open up and create opportunities um, for women that allow them to work in a way that works best for them and that it doesn't have to always be either the traditional nine to five job or nothing. Um, and so I've really enjoyed having my own personal experiences to be able to draw from and bring that to the policy world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's get into this bill specifically on that family and children portion. Can you give us an overview of what it entails? Yeah, and there's a lot here. Um, Speaker Pelosi has talked about how this will transform our economy. And if you talk about transforming the most free and prosperous economy in all of history, that's going to be in big changes. And they're trying to sell it, you know, as having all these benefits for families and for children. 
but they're really only giving one side of the analysis there. And actually, Harry Truman was once famously quoted for saying, give me a one-handed economist and demanding this. He said, all my economists say on the one hand and on the other hand. And I see this as they're presenting all of these benefits, all of these handouts, these freebies that children and families can get. But what is the cost of those? And not just the monetary cost, but the impact on children's and families' actual lives and well-being. So I'm going to walk through just some of the major provisions that are in this bill. There is a federal paid family leave program. Paid family leave is a great thing. I think we all want workers to have access to that. And it's particularly important to get more access for lower income workers. Um, but that's a great thing that's actually happened over the past five years. We've seen a 64% increase in the number of workers who have access to paid family leave. That's through their employers. And that's when you can have the more flexible and accommodating and honestly more generous policies. But what happens here is that there's a new federal program um, and it has the potential to increase access for their lower income workers. But what's not told is that actually lower income workers tend to work for smaller employers. And if you work for an employer that has fewer than 50 employees, you actually can't use that program without potentially losing your job. And historically, paid family leave programs that are run by governments don't actually end up helping low-income workers. They don't use them. And California has one, and a low-income mother in California um, is only one-fifth as likely to use the program as a higher-income mother. They just don't end up meeting their intended goals. So that's a, what it would do for the lower-income group. But then looking at people who already have access, we have a situation here where it's going to be, if you like your paid family leave policy you have, you likely can't keep it because what they're going to do is to give grants to employers to cover part of their costs as long as they follow all the rules and the regulations that are attached with this federal program. And they're also going to give large grants to the 10 blue states who have their own program. So it's basically kind of a federal takeover of any existing policies that are out there. And the money's all going to go to that. These are people who already have benefits. It's already being paid for by their employers. And now it's going to be taxpayer dollars instead. And there's going to be new rules and regulations. And so people are going to be going through a federal program and dealing with bureaucrats instead of just sending an email to their boss, I need a day off. Um, so that's the paid family leave program. Another aspect is child payments. And I know this is popular, the $3,000 per year or $3,600 per year, but distributed in a monthly amount for every child. And that sounds great. Who doesn't need more money to help raise their families? But the reality is, is that there's significant costs to that. And this is disproportionately going to go to middle and upper income families. These subsidies don't phase out until a family with two children makes nearly half a million dollars a year. And so the benefit of that, sending that additional money to somebody who is already in a very well-to-do family that's arguably not gonna pay off. Instead, I think of it as like just tacking more debt on each of my kids in a backpack that they're gonna carry into the future and have to pay for because ultimately you can't finance all of this stuff by simply raising taxes on wealthy people and corporations. It's gonna be everybody that will be impacted. So that's paid family leave, child payments. And I did say child payments as opposed to child tax credits because there is no work requirement associated with these anymore. Under the current system, parents have to work at least some amount in order to earn the credits. And so this also has a problematic component of kind of doing away with the positives that came out of the bipartisan welfare reform of 1996, because we know that having that work requirement is really one of the only pathways out of poverty for children to see work demonstrated and to help them 
in the future. So the next component then is childcare subsidies. And this is one of the highest cost programs. And I think potentially one of the most damaging ones. What it does is it would provide federal taxpayer subsidies that would go to childcare providers if they are qualified and they follow the rules and regulations that the government says they need to. Um, so this is largely going to benefit childcare centers, but only about 14% of families say that their ideal preference is for their kid to be in a full-time um, childcare center. About 70% of families want their kids to be in family-based care. And so then what you end up with here is disproportionately benefiting wealthy and middle-income families to the tune of spending $30,000, $40,000 per year in taxpayer subsidies to wealthy families in DC and Boston, um, instead of actually targeting the money towards lower income families that need it. And then there's a universal pre-K program. Um, this would provide grants to the states, but similar to what was done in Obamacare and with the Medicaid expansion, it starts out as a 100% grant to start these programs, but then over time, the states actually have to pick up 50% of the tab. So it's unclear whether or not states will even adopt this. And if they do, will they have to cut it off in the future? And then there's also, um, quote, free community college that would be available two years to everybody. So that was a lot, but <laughs> those are the main family components. That yeah. I mean, that is a lot, but it sounds super messy. And, you know, there's this lure of everything that's in this bill of like, hey, we're going to help you guys out, especially moms. And then there's all these strings attached that, hey, like, you're going to get a bill for this down the road and your children are too. So, uh, so you know, you're going to have to pay up eventually. And it's, yeah. it's just terrible policy. Now, Biden is saying that they are investing $164,000 per child. And that it will actually pay for itself, that we won't be left with the bill. So what exactly does he mean when he says that? And do you think that's actually the case? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Biden and others like Senator Elizabeth Warren have said that these investments in children, child care subsidies, child payments are going to, quote, pay for themselves in the long run because children will be so much more productive, more parents will be out and working. Um, and I think to start with, that's insulting to anybody who has ever given up some time in the labor force, either to care for a family member or to care for a child. It's basically telling everybody your main worth is what you contribute to the economic output and to the federal government's task coffers. And that's really what a lot of this is about, is getting more people into work so that they can pay more in taxes. Um, and so I did the math here actually adding up because I wanted to look at this notion, is it actually a good investment? Will it quote pay for itself? And as you mentioned, $164,000 is the total if you add those child payments, childcare subsidies, pre-K and community college. Well, if you're simply doing an investment analysis and only looking at the numbers here, that means that every child that receives those subsidies would have to earn $746,000 more over their lifetime. That's an extra $18,600 per year if they work for 40 years in order for those quote investments to actually yield a positive return. But when you look at the actual impact of childcare programs 
um, you know, that all the people that claim these are investments will point to a couple studies that were done six decades ago to a tiny group of particularly disadvantaged African-American children. And those did show some pretty high returns. But the author of those studies um, has actually said this, and it's a quote here. I've never supported universal preschool. The benefits of public preschool programs are the greatest for the most disadvantaged children. More advantaged children generally have encouraging early family lives. The quote intervention that a loving resourceful family gives to its children has huge benefits that unfortunately have never been measured well. Public preschool programs can potentially compensate for the home environments of disadvantaged children no public preschool program can provide the environments and the parental love and care of a functioning family and the lifetime benefits that ensue. And that's really the important point here is because even setting aside the math of all of this is pushing children into environments that are not their parents' preferences actually going to help them in the wrong run? And no, it's absolutely not. Right. I, yeah, that's, that's so important to know is you know, that time, that the time is so valuable with your children and your influence and how you raise them. And um, as we know, as we have seen this year, what government funded schools actually teach and how they treat parents, it's not going to fare well. It's not going to get any better as long as we continue these programs that are encroaching on our kids. And so it's so important to keep government out of these institutions, like you said. Now, let's talk about, you know, we've talked about young kids in school. Let's talk about adults in school who are going to community college. You talked about the, you, you briefly mentioned the free community college portion. Um, is it really going to be free? <laughs> or what are the strengths attached to, to that part? Yeah, and when I was looking at some of these estimates, I just kind of put a placeholder in there initially thinking like, I, I thought that community college costs were pretty low, but they're actually not. When you add in all the existing subsidies that are already out there, it's about $27,000 per year that this cost is. And so this is a significant amount of money that's going to be spent. And the problem is, is that community colleges have really lackluster outcomes so far. Only 28% of students that begin community college finish a two-year degree within three years. And part of the problem is that so much of them, so many of those students, 80% are paying little or nothing. And so they don't have any skin in the game. Um, they don't have the incentive to actually succeed at that. And if you further de disincentivize that success by saying it's free to everybody, um, not only are you probably gonna have worse outcomes there, but this also leads to a problem for K to 12 education because there's already issues there. Um, mm -hmm. But now if they have two more years afterwards, well, then the high schools can just say, well, we're just gonna push it on to the community colleges and what they haven't learned here, we'll let them teach them beyond that. And so it really goes across the board um, of not helping children's educations. Yeah, well, that's discouraging. <laughs> but luckily this bill hasn't passed yet. So we don't have to you know, make this a, a done deal quite yet. <laughs> Um, no. So, uh, Democrats for years have taken up the message of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. So, in this case, they're claiming that this bill would actually help needy families. You touched on this a little bit earlier about how it actually 
goes to more, you know, wealthier families. Um, are there any other portions of the bill that you see that actually the, the most deserving are being disenfranchised? I think all of the provisions that are out there, it's offering benefits, but only if you want the benefit that comes from the federal government, only if you're able to also manage through all these rules and regulations and figure out how you actually qualify for that benefit. That's part of the problem with paid family leave provisions is that it can be difficult to fill out all the paperwork, to fill in the, the medical um, forms and to actually become approved to get that benefit. And so there's so many ways that these programs that are being created will only be going to middle and upper income families. But then it's also about looking at what are the preferences of each of those families. And as I mentioned before, with childcare, part of the reason that some families have lower incomes is because they've made that choice for one parent to give up an income to be able to stay home with a child. And so they're either not going to benefit from that program or they're gonna decide because there's this big, huge carrot being hung to put their children into you know, government-run childcare and to go out and work, that they will do that but then you have all the consequences that can ensue. And we saw in Quebec when they instituted a largely subsidized childcare program that it, it did push more parents into the workforce and it pushed more children out of family-based care and into government-directed childcare. But there were really severe consequences for that, not only to children's social and emotional development, but more hostile parenting, worse family relationships, and it extended all the way on into those children's teenage years where they were more likely to be convicted of committing crimes. And so these are not things that are going to like help break cycles of poverty or to help disadvantaged children, but could actually make their outcomes worse in the long run. And then just talking about the cost of these, you know, the promise has been made, we're not gonna raise taxes on anybody that makes less than $400,000 a year. Um, well, the Joint Committee on Taxation that's responsible for scoring these has already shown, no, they will actually raise taxes on middle-income families and even those making as little as $30,000 per year. Um, and that's not even taking into account the dynamic effects because corporations are just buildings and logos and buildings and logos don't actually pay taxes. Who pays the taxes is the workers that go and work in those buildings. And so they're the ones that end up bearing the brunt of corporate tax increases through the form of lower wages. And just across the board here, looking at this enormous amount of government spending and how much it's going to crowd out private sector and the opportunities that individuals and families face, um, it's really going to leave everybody in disproportionately lower income families forced off in the long run. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, you know, we have a lot of moms who, who listen to this podcast, both working and stay at home. But sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm a, a working mom who also stays at home. So I get the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes in this phase of life, as you know, you just want to break like, some of these provisions sound great, even even mm -hmm. if we're you know selling our souls to the devil. It's it's like man, I would love a little more financial income or you know those kind of thoughts. What would you tell those moms who are worrying in their mind about these kind of policies? Well, and I would say first, looking at it and what's being promised, and there's a lot of money that is out there. Um, it may seem like this could actually help you, but will it really help you in what you think is best for your family and the things that you want to do? Um, and also then in the longer run, what is your children's future going to look like as a result of all these programs? 
How much are they going to pay in taxes? How many fewer jobs and opportunities are going to be available to them in the long run? And this is when we talk about a government transformation of the economy. I think it really just limits those opportunities. And yet, if we look back over the last five or so years, and I even include COVID-19 because I see this as kind of a silver lining of the pandemic. Um, you know, I, my youngest is three now and my oldest is 13. And so I feel like I've been navigating now for over a decade kind of that balance um, between work and family and finding the harmony that, that works best. Um, and there's just been this huge leap forward over the last year in terms of workplace flexibility and companies were forced to adopt the technology that allows more remote work, um, that can give workers options of having the autonomy to choose when they do the work that they need to. Um, and I just see it as so much forward momentum and even before COVID, when I was mentioning the increase in paid family leave that's out there, like there's so many avenues that are being opened up that I see particularly benefiting moms who have young kids at home that want that flexibility. And it's just sad to me to think about how all of these provisions will close off those doors. You know, we haven't even talked about the fact that part of the agenda is to make it nearly impossible for anybody who wants to work for themselves as a freelancer, as a gig worker, as a contractor, all those doors will be shut off if the liberal agenda is enacted. Yeah, I think it's important to note that, you know, a lot of times we think in terms of what is going to benefit me now, but when we think of terms of like what's going to benefit me and my children and my neighbors mm -hmm. and my family, you know, as a, a large collective, what's going to impact us in the best way long term? And, and that's what you were saying. These things are going to affect us for who, who knows how long, decades, generations. And so it, it's important for us now to fight for those future generations to have the best America that there can possibly be, essentially. So, yeah, everything you're, saying, yeah, everything you're saying is so good. I think it really hits home, especially to us moms. And, um, you know, politicians can package up these bills really nice to make them look appealing, but there are a lot of problems hiding within. And that's why it's so important to have you looking into all these things and telling us what all the issues are so that we can be equipped to, to make a difference. So um, where can our listeners follow your work from here on out? Yep, so I have a lot of papers and research on heritage.org and also the dailysignal.com, but you won't find me on social media. <laughs> That's good. But we, uh, the other day, you almost didn't find anyone on social media. So, <laughs> um, so it was almost like, oh, I, I think I could get used to this. But okay, so heritage.com, heritage.org, right? Heritage.org and the dailysignal.com. Okay, got it. We will um, post those on our social media and we'll also post them in our show notes below so that our listeners can have easy access to look at your work. Um, and then uh, make sure you follow Heritage as well so that uh, you can be up to date on their alerts and their analysis. They're an excellent organization, so you might as well follow them. So Thank you. also, if you're listening to this podcast, be sure to subscribe share with your friends and leave us a re review. You can find us on all the major social media outlets and at engagewitheagleforums.com. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forums.
everything so much, Rachel.